The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on The Viewpoint. Is African culture the biggest violator of women's rights and women empowerment? African women demands are transforming into something most people never envisaged. Women and children dream of being empowered and independent. But how realistic is it to achieve these dreams when we still belong to cultural communities? Communities and families that subscribe to cultural practices which have been viewed as inhumane and demeaning to women. Is culture in its current form against the empowerment of women? That's the question. Is culture not contributing to the violation of women's rights? That's the question. Mrs. Ya Ashantiwa Achangidi, the Institute of Africology in Durban, founding director, is on the phone to have that discussion with us. Good evening, Mama. How are you? Greetings, and thank you so much uh, for including such an important topic, um, dealing with the liberation of women, but also begging the question that we look closely at what we call African culture and traditions. Well, the question is, broadly speaking, and you can understand from this what you will and sort of answer what you will, is African culture the biggest violator of women's rights and women empowerment? That's, I think, it could be a very unfair question, but let's just ask that question before we start narrowing down to focusing, for instance, on female circumcision, for argument's sake. <laughs> it is a very unfair and very sad question to ask in the, in the 21st century. Um, African culture and tradition is not a violator of women's rights. Um, so I want to just put that clear, and I'm going to break it down because we are coming from a place where in this month I would like us to look not just at the negative parts, which are sometimes blown up, you know, because there's not been any critical and, and, and real authenticity of the facts. When people talk about African culture and traditions, we, we tend to first go to the negative. So let me say, having been across the continent quite a few times, having lived amongst many African cultures, I have seen where African cultures and tradition, in fact, has been the liberating factor for women right across the continent. Let's talk about African women's circumcision, which seems to always come and blow up in our faces, as well as virginity testing. You know, African culture and tradition, the violation of it and also the, the abuse of it has been existent, uh, in existence because of patriarchal bad habits and patriarchal learned bad habits, which sometimes lends itself to a religious behavior. African culture in its, in its, in its, in its normality, without all of the invasions that has happened to us as African people, requires that women are respected women are honored, and women are revered and worshipped. So That's let's, a let's very start critical point. point. Let, okay, let us start from that point because if I can personalize it, because I think everything has to be contextualized, in the, con- in the context of my experience, I have had that experience growing up that the center of a household is the mother, the matriarch, against, whom, against whom the reference of that particular household is made to her, not to my father for instance where i grew up it was my mother's house not my father's house where then is all of that lost if the matriarch is so critical a feature in the family setup therefore in society 
because as a mother, you're expected to mother everybody in society, not just those to whom you give birth. Where then at a societal level is that respect for the female, you know, for the female you know, body lost? There's a beautiful saying that says, what fails men is reported to women. And uh, what, what in that little saying lies a very important part of who we are. Yes. Women were always the go-to. We were always central to, not above or below anyone, but central to any issues that happen in community, not just as decision makers, but also as kingmakers. We, we lost it when we were invaded by people saying things like, Okulobola, for example, is, is about buying women. The, the essence of that one process is about a man honoring and respecting that you can't just come and grab a woman. You have yes. to pay respect to the parents, to the family, that this woman you want to come and, and start your own line with must be respected. Instead, what we have is a conversation around Christianity and many other religions saying, no, but it's about a buying of a woman. And so everybody tags onto that because there's been this one dormant saying that women are being abused because they are being paid for. I have been lobola and I never at any point felt like somebody was paying for me. Accommodated, I yeah. felt respected because I felt that somebody has spent time to understand that my parents have put in the, 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 the teachings that is needed for that family to get me to continue as, as the mother of that family to continue their lineage. So I just put it in that basic form because I noticed this big uproar about Lobola being expensive and it's abusing women. And, you know, when we have learned in, 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 in the ancient days, three things, respect, order, and that we were always in between life and death. And in that one understanding as Africans, we respected women because they were the giver of life. And they were also always in the position of being killed because of life. So if, if, if in South Africa, we can go back to the normalcy of being true to understanding the African culture before the invasion that happened, because once the invasion came upon us, we, were, we, we continued to be in a stunned place. I think of Umkabai, you know, the great Umtwana, the great princess. She had a regiment that she led. She owned cattle and land that until now we can't even begin to act you know, assess how much land and cattle this one woman who we, we in history. And that's the other thing, the history about women in, in, in terms of who we are as liberators, the history of women in terms of who we are as cultural uh, perseverers have been, have been, have been um, rubbished down or dumbed down because patriarchy is, is practiced in such an intensity that men forgot who they came from. And men forgot who were the real kingmakers because patriarchy taught them, according to the scriptures, according to other readings, that women, um, women were to be treated like this, like that, like that. And so the rules were enforced because of fear, because of um, disorder, and because of the disrespect of who continues the lineage of a community, of a family. Where was the first disruption in what you had established initially when you said 
the center of society in essence were the mothers. Where was the first disruption? Was it patriarchy in the African context or was it the arrival of the colonial master in the sen- earlier centuries of Africa, depending on what you choose so there to were, be the there first were disruption? a collective disruption. The first one was dumbing down our spirituality and our essence of, of who Umbele Nangi, the one who was before all times. That was the first disruption. By so in, in saying to us, we have no God, we have to teach you what a God is or what she is. Then that dumbing down became our first tragedy because... The who, was the disruptor? who was the disruptor? Who was the disruptor? The disruptor was those who invaded us because they didn't understand us. So the disruptors were the, the Arabs, the disruptors were the Europeans, the, disruptor, the disruptors are the Chinese, the disruptors are the Indians who believe that they have more value in their spirituality, in their commerce, in their trade, in the way they, in the way they teach dances, in the way they teach art. They disrupted us and all the time devaluing ourselves, our sense of authority, over who we are in the traditions and over who we are in our culture. That disruption never ended, and it wasn't just one disruption. It happened in such a concurrent way, my brother, that we have to think a thousand years what happened. It just didn't happen 350 years or 500 years when slavery happened. It happened over a period of a thousand years. And in Africology, we remind people that we, we refuse and we refrain from saying that African culture um, has, has, has created havoc for women. No, African culture and traditions has never created havoc for women. What, what has happened is that men were given a code that said, you have to keep your women silent. The men were given a teaching that says, when you come into a gathering, you have no wisdom. Men were given a code of conduct that a woman must change her name because that's how you will control her. Yet in the Zulu culture, in the Nguni culture, in cultures across Africa, a woman can keep her name. When she arrives in the home, she is Ma'acha. She is not Ma'ngidi because always she's referred from where she came from. And so those are some of the things. And so when it became systematic that you have to marry and put a ring on your finger, so people can see that you are belonging to so-and-so. That's where the disruption for us in terms of traditions and culture happens. Let's talk about the agents, the local agents or the domestic agents to the disruptors. Why then, given the magnitude of this disruption, it obviously needed agents who needed to be converted. Why were African communities or African societies so susceptible to disruptors through their very own agents. Why did that happen? We are the custodians of humanity, and let me not make that, let me make that very clear that humanity didn't mean that we were passive. We were the we we continue to be the custodians of a people which call themselves the human race. We are the custodians and the mothers and fathers. So when you see your children behaving badly, you observe them and then you correct them. Unfortunately, when we allowed a certain group of people in our space, we felt that they understood the norms and codes of how you come into a community. Instead, they came into the community strategically knowing that they came to claim and to destroy and and to disrupt. 
and they, they had an experiment called the Willie Lynch, which they worked across the world to say, you have to practice the distortion of young women against young, older women. You have to practice and make sure that men will always put their women aside and they will be disrespectful and violent. These are things that was put in place so that if not practiced, you were whipped, you were beaten, you were taken aside so that you were humiliated. And before we understood what was happening to us, women were at the epoch because women were worshipped in Africa. Women were called goddesses. Women were seen as, as, as the, the greatest co-creator to, to the one who came before all things. So, so, so when, when that was not explained properly, the Africans found themselves in a serious conundrum because we could not even imagine that there was these kinds of people that were so inhumane that they wanted to do something different than what we knew and we understood within our family. Remember, we understood respect, we understood order, and we, we understood continuity. And we did understand that women were custodians to in Blovokazi kingmakers. Women were custodians Nankubulwani to, to the environment. Women were custodians to Queen Mujaji. We understood that women had to be the leaders to trade because they were the ones who passed on things in markets. It wasn't always the men. So, so this disruption was systematic and it continues to be within a process. And we see it today in, 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 in our political processes. We see today in our educational process where, where women are no longer given the right to be the first teacher in their homes. They have children coming back and tell them, teacher said, how can a teacher be above a mother in a home? It's never happened in African culture. So, so the system continues to be pervasive, to be penetrative, but patriarchy is losing its steam because we are getting back to the order of warmer centricism where African women will now, with or without force, take their place as a rightful owner of communities, of family, of spirituality, of agriculture, of leadership, and of trade. Let me ask this question because I've actually had this conversation with some prominent voices in African customary law, in professors Goyana and... Um, I forget his name right now. Um, Zolanim Kiva, for instance. Let me ask this question. The tension, if any, is there a tension between African customary law and the constitutional dispensation as we now enjoy it? Answer that question, please, in the context of the role of women in African societies. African customary law versus the last 25 years of, in South Africa anyway, the constitutional dispensation. Can these two coexist? Is there tension? If so, how are women There will affected? always be tension. There will always be a conflict because, you know, I think of in rural South Africa where old women are still called to listen to a conflict. And, and, and these women will go away and contemplate not just the issue at hand, they will conflict contemplate the family members who are involved and how they are related and what happens if we should make a decision that will break the community. Now, in some cases, our learned friends say, these old women, who are they? They haven't even read a book. 
So why should we listen to their decision? Let's go to the courts to decide. Yet you went and you did Ukulobola, you went and you did all these slaughterings. And at the point where you must humble yourself to understand that you begged your family to do all of this tradition, now you want to run to the court. Yet the court was never uh, uh, there when you went and did all these traditional things. So, so yes, my brother, you know, as long as the, the Western system has undervalued and has no respect for our traditional queens, kings, our encoses, our endunas, as long as they see them as yet a mere, a mere subsidy to keep the people in check, yes, there will always be a, a, a contestation. But the lines yeah. are so gray that customary law is still a tongue-in-cheek because why do I, having been married customarily, I still have to go to home affairs to make sure I'm protected, you know, or, or to make sure that I, 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 my assets or what I've done with my husband is still protected. So we are a schizophrenic people, and that is what colonialism has done to us. It has made us live two lives in one, where we want the, the, the religious side and we want the traditional side, even amongst our traditional healers. So, can I not interrupt you there, Mama? Sorry, let me interrupt you. At what point do we just blame colonialism? Because to me, it gives the impression we don't have the agency to reject colonialism or the part of it that has allowed us to be the people we have since become. For instance, we've got our resources now. We should first of all talk about establishing a national identity through the national question that continues to ravage many African societies such that we can revert back to the systems that had served us until the disruption came. Why do we still have to say colonialism is, granted it might have been the bedrock of the disruption, but it doesn't have to sustain itself because we've got that agency that we had been looking for? Or do we not? Am I just being flippant? We do not have the agencies that, um, that can do this because remember, when you have been traumatized for long, it's almost been somebody putting a teaser on you, consistently a teaser. And they tease you to say, if you dare call your ancestors' name, if you dare do Tagazela, if you dare wear your traditional, you will be killed and you will be make, made a spectacle of. Now, that trauma has never been addressed. You know, the redress that we ask for in, in being, to be able to speak the way I speak is that we, we know that at some point, a professor will call me and say, but what you're saying is ludicrous. You're being emotional. Because remember, mm. we have been a traumatized people consistently for 500 years. The trauma has sat with us. We have become a fearful people. Our courage, has, every time we show courage, we have been cut down. So our people tread cautiously because we have always been the, lo the lover of life. And, and we know that even our own people have learned how to disdain themselves and have also learned how to go against our encoses, our kings, our queens. They have gone against the traditional laws because it's easier to survive in other aspects than to what is, is, is really our lifeblood. I've got a couple of questions, but let me just revert to something which clearly just goes to the heart of this question, and my producer has assisted me in this regard. You spoke about oh, Queen Mojaji, Queen Asante, for instance. 
uh, Queen Zinga, and the list is endless. Leading yes. great African kingdoms right here where you are in the KZN region, Queen Nandi. Yes. Irrespective of what the history of her that has been told, she was nonetheless a leader. The fact that she could get such a community to respond to her, it means that she was a leader. Why then, in the traditional setup, even in this constitutional dispensation that preaches equality, do you find still women are not able at a traditional level to get their place in society as leaders of communities and societies yet the history we reference categorically gives or mama as i prefer to say as opposed to woman gives them the place as apex of the structures of society why do we struggle with that uh you know because uh one of the things that we've learned is that women have been it's a systematic thing to undermine women. And so it has been reinforced by religious practices, but that's another thing, right? But we do know that these religious institutions, they are not standing on their own. They are standing because women are filling the synagogues, the pews, the mosques. It's because of women why these religious orders still have any worth, right? Mm. So we know that people know the worth of a woman. You cannot end, underestimate the power of fear. You cannot undermine the power of a woman who understands that every man who stands in front of her is her child. And a man does not want to be even considered the child of a woman. So, so, so these psychological, very common psychological spaces um, for African men must be dealt with because you remember the, 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 the onslaught of colonialism and apartheid, men were at the cold face. And finally, they have gotten a breathing space. And here we now remind them that what you were is not what you have learned. And so learning that you have to beat a woman so she can understand that you are in charge was never the way. Because in African cultures, there was always a consequence to going against the community laws and codes. And what we have not done at all since colonialism is revise the consequences of disrupting a woman's life, of disrespecting an old woman, mm. of, of abusing mm. a child. We have no consequences because we have taken on democracy which says everyone has a right to anything. It cannot be in a human being that everyone has a right without accountability and in african traditions women were the custodians of ensuring the consequences let me ask this question finally mama because i mean i really enjoy this conversation but i'm just gonna for the sake of being different for the sake of being mischievous even but i think also there's merit in what i'm about to read to you it's a quote that is attributed to mama mandela whose place in the south african and african society is guaranteed this is a quote that is attributed to her whether true or not anyway this is the point the overwhelming majority of women accept patriarchy unquestionably and even protect it, working out the resultant frustrations not against men but against women, but against themselves in their competition for men as sons, lovers, and husbands. Traditionally, the violated wife bides her time and offloads her built-in aggression on her daughter-in-law. So men dominate women through the agency of women themselves. Close quote. Now, what do you make of that and the point that it addresses? I think it has a lot of facts. It has a lot of merit. Remember also, because you are outside of your traditional 
way of operating. There used to be a time where before any young girl gets into any union, there would be, oh, mama, who will sit with this girl, not just to tell her that if a man shouts at you, you must just be quiet. If a man beats you, just don't tell the family. That was never the code. That's Christianity and all other religions that tells you these things. In tradition, it says if a man disrupts you or, or, or disrespects you, you come to the elders and the man must, must explain his behavior. What we have seen amongst all of this is that, yes, there are women who have never gone into the tradition but have married into family that never told them that uh-huh. when the daughter-in-law comes, she is your continuation. She is your plan of action for taking over. So no, you must I be understand. diligent. I understand. Yes. Mama, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have been told I literally right now have to cut the conversation. I can guarantee you this. In September, when we're talking about issues related to heritage and what flows from that, which this conversation certainly is, I will request that we have you back to continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your indulgence. It is a pity that women, again, have been cut off. But let me close with the quote, my brother. We are, women are taking their spaces not out of arrogance, but because of divine rights. What fails men is reported to women. And men have been failing through their patriarchal, and we have been reported to, and now we will act on it. Thank you so much. Mrs. Ya Ashentiwa Achangidi, Institute of Africology, founding director there in Durban. It is 21.45. We are two minutes overdue. I have to cut the person on the line. It happens to be a woman, and I'm sorry about that.